I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demarellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have a filmmaker and an academic at Deakin University. Uh, he's currently capturing stories of cultural flows and its impact on Indian diaspora in Australia, as well as authoring and editing books on Indian cinema and intangible cultural heritage, Dr. Vikrant Kishore. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi George. I'm all good and thanks for inviting me to your show. That's okay. I think... Uh, I managed to get all that <laughs> that description down. It's a pleasure to have you here on the show. I I saw your specialty there in a Indian cinema. I was very fascinated to hear more. It's an actual area that I don't know a lot about. Is that something you've like? I guess firstly, have you have you always been interested in all film, or was it always specifically in Indian cinema? No, no, I'm a film buff. So all kinds of cinemas. So right from Western films to European films to even African films to any any films uh, or, or Korean or Japanese. In fact, uh, lately I've been teaching uh, Asian cinemas, so from Japan to Taiwan to China to Hong Kong cinema. So, and uh, but but my uh, speciality or rather my focus and research area is of course Indian cinema, which I've you know grown up watching. Uh, so that that of course is the area where I write and uh, I really like to discuss and talk about more about that yeah now that's uh, like to be honest you've got like the classic uh you've got a film buff's dream since your job now involves like watching movies and dissecting them all the time it's it sounds like a yeah what a lot of people would love to have to be honest yeah yeah and that's what i keep telling students like uh earlier when you know teachers would say don't watch film don't watch tv in our course we ask students to go and watch as many movies as possible, watch as many TV as possible. <laughs> yeah. And even that sounds sometimes, you know, a bit too much to ask because, yeah, the engagement sometimes is not the way you want it. But still, students love watching movies. And these days I'm teaching documentary production. And uh, lots of uh, students who have never been, you know, uh, in a way engaged with documentary and suddenly, you know, they get started and then they realize that documentaries are such a huge kind of uh, area and there are lots of interesting films. It is no more about, you know, dull and drab kind of filmmaking. It has become very stylistic as well. So another area just uh, from Indian cinema. Now I'm also talking about documentaries, where which I teach now mostly. All right. Okay. Yeah, because I, I know what you mean. I mean, your documentary, whilst interesting, 
no one thinks of it as like, I guess, artistic, creative in the same sense of a movie. But you're saying that actually that's changed and now there's way more of a stamp that these filmmakers put on what they're putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much of change in documentary filmmaking which has happened. And now I'm also focusing on micro storytelling. So short stories or short documentary style of two to three minutes to six minute kind of storytelling. And that's another thing with the with the coming of online media and the changing media landscape that that has really taken away from that long form. Though long form still is there and it is the most, you know, people are mostly watched. But short form storytelling has also now become very, you know, common. Right. Yeah. Is that like YouTube sort of stuff? Yeah. YouTube, like online, Facebook, you know, uh, Vimeo, you, you name it. And uh, lots of storytellers are utilizing those kind of uh, uh, medium to reach out to, you know, masses and uh, uh, to a greater audience, not masses, but uh, online audience. <laughs> No, you could say the masses, which you just meant it in the mathematical sense rather than in any mean way. Um, the uh, well, actually, that's interesting because, like, obviously, the first thing whenever I hear that, a part of me is like, "Ah, oh, it's a shame that they can't, people can't pay attention for longer." But I guess it's not really saying that; it's more like just getting where people are looking. Essentially, is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 now the thing is that people have got a choice. You know, earlier we didn't have a choice; we were sticking to a particular long format films. So now people have choice that they can choose between short format or whatever, depending on their time. So I still end up watching lots of, you know, uh, feature films and feature documentaries. But still, you know, when I don't have time, I can still browse through and watch these short, interesting films uh, which are being made. So there's some amazing work coming. And I can see, you know, 20 years back, we would be struggling, you know, wanting to showcase our films uh, to a broader audience. And online media has changed. Now you just put it on your Facebook, your immediately your friends would start reacting, your family would start, you know, watching the things and then it can travel. Things can travel. Yeah. And there's also, I guess, the, uh, it's almost, because it's short, you get to practice things and you get to work on it faster as well. Instead of the long process of a long form thing, you can really build up your skills. I'm guessing long form is still considered the, you know, the the big one, I guess, uh, even though like, the short form's gotten more popular, or is that just me showing my age, <laughs> showing my out of touchness with tech? Yeah, I know. I, I agree. Long forms are still here to stay, but short forms are also something, you know, which is growing. And especially uh, for people who are just getting into media or wanting to explore filmmaking or making, uh, you know, documentaries, for them it becomes easy because uh, to explore you know, storytelling and to also engage with a with an audience, online audience. So that is also good. And somehow it also helps them to explore the pathway towards long form of filmmaking or feature filmmaking. And especially teaching at university, we are trying to teach all these kind of skills to the students of how to, you know, work with a crew and how to tell a story in six minutes or 10 minutes. And once they are done with that, then they all, mostly they move on to, you know, bigger production houses and all to make uh, feature-length films. And and then uh, now with corporates also opening up, they are wanting students to come with those kind of multi-skills. So multi-skilling is also becoming very important. It's not just that you have to be a kind of a specialist camera person or a specialist director or kind of thing. You can be a, um, you know, jack of all. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, yeah, you need to know a little bit about everything now just to be able to be, uh, I'm guessing the agileness of it, being able to, you know, move quick, and uh, cover lots of bases, which, yeah, for that you would need experience in lots of areas. Um, the 
I see now you've I was going to talk about your book and the cars and and the Indian cinema but you've got you got to be interested because the one thing that straight away pops into my head when we talk about something like this and it's unavoidable with documentary in general in the modern era especially when we talk about internet based information I guess is um the downside which is obviously the misinformation abilities and obviously the shorter it is even though I'm sure you know any length of time you can make something up I guess, but with something like four to six minutes, obviously you can almost make anything look real in that length of time. So is that something which uh, gets discussed? Is that like an ethical thing which comes up or is that just like, that's just part of it? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a very big thing, especially as a documentary filmmaker. I always think that, uh, you know, the way propaganda machineries are working and these kind of not, you, you generally see those kind of uh, very, new style of uh, presentation of things and trying to give it a spin. And that is happening so much that you have to keep your eyes and mind open. And I, I see people taking up, you know, understanding or rather thinking uh, these kind of spinned uh, stories or propaganda stories to be real. And that's why you see that kind of divide or the rise of the right wing with these kind of stories. Uh, and then the book that I want to discuss today, you know, uh, which is uh, cast the origins of our discontents by Is- Isabel Wilkerson. In mm-hmm. fact, she opens up talking and you know talking about the American society and culture in relationship to you know uh, the 2016 uh, you know elections and later on what happens with the Trump and the right wing's rise. And then she anal- analyzes uh, the whole misinformation that has been spread and that kind of uh, division between uh, the in the American society about the ultra whites and then you know how it impacts others so i find you know somewhere our discussion coming to that uh, uh, kind of a segue of moving into our, our book discussion as well because it's a very important uh, kind of a book that i found very interesting and also something which in indian uh, kind of a parallel because she also utilizes lots of aspects from the indian caste system and as I said, I it, you know utilize lots of my storytelling from the cultural perspective. Mm. So one of the cultural baggage these days I see within the Indian diaspora is the baggage of caste and the practice of caste within the Indian diaspora in Australia. I find it a bit problematic because what they do is that they bring in the, those kind of, uh, what do you say, the age-old practice of discrimination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's... um. Okay, yeah, you've you've tied things together better than I I usually do. Okay, there's so much to unpack in what we've what you've just mentioned. So, firstly, I guess to take a step back, um, the book cast uh, in terms of uh, I always thought it was pronounced cased when I was younger, but cast, which is about so the book is essentially about um, how different subgroups within uh, society. In this case, she's specifically talking about America and how that's based on a historical basis as well as it's helped along by current proceedings is that right like i'm not exactly sure what the book yeah yeah so to sum up uh, i would say it's just a work uh, which looks at uh, the nature of inequality uh, and specifically in the united states uh, and uh, with a, uh, with uh, some of the aspects of that happened in india and also nazi germany mm-hmm. so she looks at the aspects of slavery class and race as a construct for inequality and also the aspect of economic need that prompts these kind of inequalities. So that's very important. So, and she looks at the kind of hierarchy, which is at the work, whites at the top, black at the bottom, you know, and, and also looking at caste discrimination as a global human rights concern. 
Yeah, um, I guess what's interesting, and this is why this has caught my eye so much, is when you told me this is the book. So I, I didn't even know this existed. Then I looked it up and it won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize. And it sounds super fascinating because straight away my first thought is it's interesting labeling it as casts instead of class because like obviously that's the it, – it's got a different meaning. Like, And I, I, I get the classic, you yourself said, the Indian – uh, culture, or at least what it was, that was the caste system was huge. There it was very deeply entrenched. How many were there in the Indian culture? Is there a lot, or is there, is there four clear cut ones? I can't remember. The- yeah, that's the Varna system in Hinduism. So that's in Varna that there are four divisions. But out of those four divisions, there are mul- like multiple castes. So one Varna can have you know hundreds of castes within there. So mm. in India, you will find castes and subcastes. So if if you divide in terms of Varna, the you know again it's it's a huge historical thing which I have to unpack here. But but to keep it simple, there are four uh, Varna system, uh, which supposedly you know there is a uh, at the top are the Brahmins in India who are the knowledge giver. The second one are the Kshatriyas, who are the rulers or the you know or the uh, you know warrior class. The third one is the Vashyas who are the trading class. And fourth one is the Shudras, who are the menial worker. But then there is also a fifth uh, kind of a division who are out of this fold and who were supposedly called the untouchables. Okay? Yeah. And they that. had to face and fight the major discrimination that till date happens. Till date, you know, there's lots of killing and lots of kind of uh, problems that you see and you hear. And it's not only in India. And I think most of the South Asia... And caste also, you know, traveled from Hinduism to Islam in India to Buddhism. Though Buddhism was, you know, in a way kind of a, you know, escape from that caste thing. But even in Buddhism also, they created those kind of divisions. Even in Christianity in India, we are called Dalit Christians or people who converted from the so-called untouchable caste to Christians, yet they did not get the same kind of, you know, same they, they were not considered equal so it's it's a very interesting kind of a you know thing which has happened it's so interesting because like i mean straight and I, i've got no idea about this so if i say anything dumb you just i hope you understand that uh but the first thing i straight i think is like are people born like into that cast and like is it in their name or something like is there a record of the cast people are yes yes you are absolutely right uh well Caste, when it started, the practice, it was supposedly, or whatever the old texts say, that it is according to your karma, if you work. So if you are a knowledge giver, if you are in academia, then you are from the supposedly the higher caste. Then if you are a warrior, then you can go and it could be changed. Like if your son or daughter becomes something else, you know, they can be considered of that. But later on to, you know, families wanting to protect their kind Mm -hmm. of... uh, you know, Always. domain or the field that they are working in. So they made it by birth. And then in India, you will see that the surnames, okay, generally reflect your caste. And that's why if you meet Indians or, or whenever Indians, uh, if they meet each other, generally they will always stress on what is your last name because they want to create a kind of a relationship out of your last name thinking Oh, they might be from our same past. Maybe we'll gel more, or we really? can friends more. Yeah, and it happens here in Australia that people always stress, you know, not directly but indirectly. It will come, and I have experienced it so many times that it is just 
you know, at times you feel like, why? You know, why so many people come to Australia or to lots of Western countries, want to get the best out of a multicultural society, a democratic liberal setup, want to also call themselves as minority and yet have that kind of prejudice to practice a certain form of discrimination with their own people. And that's why I call it cultural baggage. So some of the cultural baggage that could have been just, uh, you know, moved away from. You, if somebody, you know, kicks, and, and it's not that everyone is like that. It's just, you know, you'll say a kind of a minority segment at the moment. But but till the time that practice is alive and well and kicking, then there is a problem. And that's what my problem is that, that why, you know, people think uh, about caste still, you know, wanting to, you know, claim that kind of, uh, you know, uh, situation or, or, or claim uh, to be, you know, discriminated on the basis of racism and feel, you know, a bit uh, uh, in a kind of a foreign land being, uh, you know, the outsider, you understand racism, yeah. but you do not accept your casteism. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's, that's what I was going to get to as well. What's interesting is like from what you're describing, is this a case where even people who weren't born in India, who maybe you could forgive for being a bit more stuck on those old cultural practices, but even their kids are still in many instances holding on to these kind of attitudes. Is that the case? Yeah, 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 and that that's there, and it is transferred. So it's again, I'll say, not all are like that, yeah, but no, the majority. It's a lot you know? of people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so simply, but yeah, a lot of I didn't know this existed. Well, it's it's a big thing. It's a big thing, and now because uh, there are lots of uh, you know uh, people, a kind of a resurgence or or not resurgence, but in a kind of a, people are now talking about this issue, and because people are talking about this issue, lots of people are getting defensive about their caste practice you know so and then calling others is uh, you know the other day i shared on my facebook uh, a kind of a meme and it said uh, someone from privileged class saying that why are you all always talking about caste you know and the other person responds that we at least talk about caste you practice it that's why you don't need to you know talk about it yeah it's the classic one. It's like, yeah, if, you, if you're not feeling any of the negative impacts on it, you're like, this isn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, that's a, and I, I, but yes, to go, like, to go tie it to the book with what you're saying as well, the reason I find this interesting, and even your description of Indian castes uh, as they were, originally were anyway, um, of, you're saying that number one, the highest is the knowledge giver, and then the military ruler class, and then the trades caste. <laughs> but obviously, I'm guessing in modern society, that order wouldn't be the same anymore, would it? Well, it wouldn't be same. It is different because uh, then capitalist structure generally that rules. You know, exactly. trader class is the main. You know, they they make the changes and all. But in India, still that that caste equation in India or South Asian, I should use the South Asian. And when I use the term South Asian, I also you uh, you know try. I want to club the diasporic South Asian because they are the ones who are also taking those baggages abroad. So you know, if today in USA there is lots of discussion about caste. It's because of that baggage has been brought in there. And that's why I find, uh, you know, Wilkerson's book, very, very uh, important book, because this is, uh, you know, and, and trying to look at the American society and on the basis of caste, which people never thought about it earlier. And she is, you know, breaking that kind of, uh, she's doing that analysis and uh, in, a, in a very kind of a powerful way that, you know, really made people to understand caste. And she's using, you know, again, uh, India as the birthplace of caste and Nazi Germany, where the modern experiments of casteism was done, you know, the Aryan theory and the, how, how they, you know, try to create a kind of a 
uh, inequal uh, state and then um, mm. you know also uh, kind of a being very barbaric in their approach as well yeah no that's a, and that's that's why this sounds like a very current <laughs> topic um so to like so you've already mentioned the personal thing so were you were you born here or were you were you born in india no, no i was born in india i came here to do my phd so i did my phd in indian cinema and representation of folk dance forms in indian cinema so i did it from uh-huh. rmit university and uh, now it's been more than 16 it's been 17 years since i've been here but i worked uh, back in india i worked as a journalist and then an academic uh, teaching media and so so those kind of experiences really helped me to you know start thinking about what kind of work i want to do and filmmaking is something which you know i've been interested in i've been making films mm. so yeah i always combine my work as an academic a filmmaker and a journalist all three things go hand in hand here yeah yeah so so um <laughs> there's so many topics i want to cover at the same time with everything you say um so just to stick on that though just quickly so you had an interesting experience because you probably being born in india and raised there you would have seen the caste system there and you probably so you're maybe a bit more aware of its impact on what it's like here in Australia in the diaspora, because you're like, you almost, you think you're leaving it behind, but then you see it's the long fingers of that culture still around you today, maybe more so than someone who was just born here and doesn't appreciate like how obvious it is, I guess. Is that a thing to say or is that something you know? Yeah, yeah that's true. And then, uh, you know, having a lived experience of how caste operated back in India and also coming from that so-called, I really hate to say that, but yes, we were treated like untouchables. And that, that was the thing. And coming from that privileged class, I was from a privileged class because my you know, father was a very high, big officer and my grandfather was a member of parliament and a minister. So, so we got uh, all those kind of privileges where we, we never got, uh, uh, we never had to go through kind of daily problems of casteism. It's only when at my school due to, uh, what do you call competitive nature that people when they could not bring me down on the basis of class and the kind of things that I could achieve they could only you know uh, point fingers at me on the basis of my caste to bring me down as to why are you here what are you doing you belong to someone who shouldn't be even in school that kind of thing really? and those so- were the kind of those were the kind of problems you know and okay. I had to fight it and it, it went on at different ways different levels so you know, I'm, I'm just simplifying it, you know? So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But yeah. It's, uh, it's just interesting because like you said, it's not related to even socioeconomic or even achievement in the government, whatever. It's that people still use it, I guess, as a club, even though you've like the whole family's shown it. Yeah, it's so interesting that the culture, like, I mean, I'm not dismissing the pain of something like that, but the fact that it can be so complicated, I guess. Yeah, it is complicated. And when you come to Australia and then you meet another uh, Indian and then the first thing they want to know is, what is your last name? Because they want to, you know, get your identity. They want to know which caste you belong because that's how they would form those kind of, uh, you know, uh, a kind of a bonding. Some people some people do that. And I've had at least five, six incidents like that and where I've been really, really like, why the hell? Like, till, till the moment I was talking to the person, you know, they felt very nice and everything. And suddenly that casteist uh, or caste discrimination attitude comes out and then suddenly everything goes, ah, oh, you are also bringing that here. And right now, five minutes back, you're talking about how you, you know, faced racism while you came to Australia. Mm. And you just showed me your caste's color. I was like, it just makes me some amused, but at the same time, angry as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I can understand why. Like, as in, <laughs> when you think you're getting free from that and then it just still pops up, 
in the uh, yeah in the in the new place where you wouldn't think so. Um, so it, okay, it, just because it is a topic that I was interested in as well. Um, so from the point of view, of, like to switch now to the Indian cinema stuff for a moment, um, because that's something I I think a lot of people would be very interested in. Because when you say uh, Indian cinema, and uh, again, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but I'm guessing that's more than just Bollywood, or is that like is Bollywood? You know, in, people think of that when they think of Indian cinema, obviously. Um, yeah. But that's obviously, that's not what all Indian cinema is, I'm guessing. Absolutely. At the moment you, you know, you say Indian cinema, <laughs> it's a huge industry. Okay. And there's not one industry, but there are more than 15, 16 language industries. So there is Hindi film industry, which in India is known as Bollywood. Okay, so Hindi Hindi film industry, which is the largest film industry. But then also there are other very large industries like the Tamil film industry, Telugu film industry, Malayalam film industry. So these are all from specific states, Bengali, Bhojpuri. There's so many language-based industries. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and that, that's how India makes thousand films a year. So it's Indian film industry makes thousand films. But Bollywood or the Hindi film industry, they end up making about 200 or 220 films a year. Rest comes from the other kind of languages. But the difference between, because uh, the commercial or the mainstream films from India generally has few things common, you know, because they will be a kind of a family entertainer with five or six song and dance. So when people watch, especially in uh, Western countries, when they watch those kind of mainstream films, which is uh, which works on a certain formula. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Because they don't understand the difference between languages, for them, anything with song and dance and a kind of a melodrama and kind of things, for them, it will always sound to them as Bollywood. So in my book, Bollywood and Others, I actually, you know, I didn't. I said that for Westerners, Indian mainstream cinema is equal to Bollywood. But for an Indian, Hindi cinema is Bollywood. So that's the difference that we make because, you know, because we can understand the difference between language. But for a Westerner, till the time it is following a similar plot of certain formula, 
and coming from India with song and dance, for them, it's Bollywood. Right. Yeah, I know. That's It's the classic. Uh, it's the only one you hear about. So that's what you think. Yeah. Again, grouping everything under one thing, I think. Yeah. So, I, yeah, so generally, I say Bollywood has become a brand name for Indian cinema now. Yeah, but um, so are you saying that the the other the other film industries within India they they also do the song and dance thing as well, or are you saying they're completely it's, different styles? They also do the mainstream cinemas. Generally, song and dance is something everybody wants and everybody likes. I love Indian song and dance sequences. <laughs> so, and these days it's getting lesser and lesser, and they are trying to follow lots of Hollywood and European style of filmmaking, which uh, well, it's good. But I really want my song and dance in films. So, <laughs> so and then there are different styles of films. You know, Malayalam film from uh, Kerala. They are so rich. They are so so. You know, intense films that that very focused on storyline. That you will fall in love with those kind of films. Or the, or in sixties, all the Bengali films or avant-garde Bengali films by Satyajit Ray and all those were you know uh, really talked about. Or if you look at Telugu cinema, it has another kind of very high octane kind of gangster films or you know it has its own kind of over the top films or tamil films again very over the top very star based and in fact you'll see while in bollywood or in hindi cinema you'll find the star system dominating and the stars are you know in a way they are emulated and people really like the stars the moment you go to south india the stars are like gods they are worshiped they have temples so a star says that don't vote for this politician. People won't will, will not vote for that politician. Really? And, and most of the and few of the stars they end up becoming premiers of you know a state. So that's the kind of star power that is in South India. They 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 really love the film. Not like you know the the way in North India they also love their films, but in South India that kind of passion and uh, you know following for their stars and films is huge. Yeah, that's um. Uh... Yeah. Okay. I mean, you hear things. It's interesting. Again, it's a few things there. Like, firstly, the fact that like <laughs> there is no one India, right? It's completely different areas and how they react to things. So I think that's a, an issue that people fall into from outside looking in. Um, and then that's that's what has happened. That lots of times, uh, you know, because Hindi film has been so well known and it has been exported abroad so much that lots of times these regional films or which are as strong as Hindi films. I wouldn't say, I shouldn't be saying regional films, but other films which are as popular or as powerful as Hindi cinema, they felt marginalized because, you know, lots of times they didn't get the exposure. But thanks to now, again, another different kind of a perspective of OTT platforms with subtitled, with dubbed, you know, access to these films all over the world. You know, it has got, you know, really, really big. And people now, I've been watching lots of these films, which earlier, because of lack of knowledge of those languages and no subtitles that I wouldn't watch. Now I end up watching those movies more than my own Hindi cinema. And I love those. I love those those films. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, they get subtitled so you can see, you can know what's going on with the film. Um, is that a... Okay, firstly, how can you possibly this is that's so many movies a year. <laughs> like I think it's your job's hard enough with the rest of the world. You're telling me Indian cinema, I didn't realize it was that that level of output a year. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a huge, huge film industry. And the passion for cinema still remains. And if you look at in like in Australia, like when I came here in two thousand six, there would be only three theaters uh, or two two to three three theaters in Melbourne rather showing 
you know, really popular Bollywood films, maybe once in a month kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. 2021, any average Indian cinema, be it Hindi cinema, be it Punjabi cinema or Tamil cinema, they will end up getting 50 to 80 theaters. Okay. And that's a huge jump. And Here now in Melbourne, Indian, in Australia. In Australia, okay. So in Melbourne, at least, you know, 20, 25 theatres will be running a show. So biggest consumers are Melbourne and Sydney, of course. So, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll find the diaspora, Indian diaspora, South Asian diaspora here, the maximum. So yeah. that has a huge, been a huge change. And they are they are now featuring in top 10, you know, uh, grosses uh, among the Australian top 10 films. So that's mm-hmm. another huge kind of change. And what is the kind of population who's watching these films? It's less than 1.5% of Australian population watching. And yet they are able to, you know, get them that kind of money. So, you know, the popularity of Bollywood cinema is becoming huge because the growing diasporic uh, or South Asian population in Australia. And uh, now even Australians are engaging with it. Recently, I was talking to one of the distributors and she was telling me that she was, she got a, uh, you know, a request from a drive-in in Dubbo to screen Bollywood film and then they screen Bollywood film and it was very well liked and they are asking them to send more. So, you know, now films are going to regional cities from, you know, uh, Warnambul to Geelong to uh, Newcastle and other places. So so it's just no more confined to just uh, capital cities. now. That's, yeah, it's amazing. And I, I guess, um, uh, is, this, is this a case where uh, the, the Indian culture if it sounds like it celebrates, if it's got the biggest movie industry in the world, I believe, um, it is a trait where like in Indian culture to go watch movies at the cinema. Is that a thing that like people do more, I guess? Absolutely. Cinema going is one of the cultural things and people like to watch their, you know, uh, stars on screen. Mm. Like, uh, you know, when I came to Australia, I, I I would hardly go to theaters till the time I wasn't, you know, making much. I, I had to pay all those big fee and all. So, you know, 20 to $30 used to look very uh, large amount to go to theater. Yeah. But the moment when I went to one of the really popular films, which I really wanted to watch, I went to the theater and it was all, you know, houseful. And that's one term Indians will use if the theater is all full. So it was a houseful theater. And I didn't feel like I'm in Australia because people were whistling. People were, you know, uh, you know, before the hero could uh, sprout the dialogues, they were repeating the dialogues or saying the dialogue. And it was like, wow, I'm back to India. That kind of theater experience of uh, not just quietly watching and let everybody enjoy, but it becomes a kind of a community feeling that everybody is, you know, putting their own things or someone whistling or it was... (laughs) Phenomenal. <laughs> it's funny. It's Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because like straight away, what that makes you think of, and this is mainly thanks to uh, cinema teaching me this, but that sounds a lot like what it's like for African-American communities in America where it's like very like loud and just reactive to what's going on, on the screen. Um, I, I have a bit of a – well, as long as it's not interrupting the movie experience, I do like a social viewing experience as long as it's not too much. Like, you know, everyone's talking constantly. But I don't know. That's a I, I haven't I haven't experienced what you're describing. So maybe that's maybe it's, it is fine yeah. still. Yeah, that's that's one thing which we used to do when we used in 2008 and 2009. I had to, uh, like uh, I was part of a you know student field trip where you know I had organized this in India for for students from Deakin University to visit India, and then we organized for them to 
experience the Indian theater thing with all the whistling and all the dancing and everything. And they were just amazed by the kind of thing which was happening inside the theater. And these were the single screen theater. So not those multiplex in malls or, you know, yeah. uh, the modern uh, where you have to be quiet or where you have to be really rich to go there. These were like, you know, 20 cents ticket entry kind of a place where a big theater, you know, getting in around 500 to 700 people in there or some even thousand and then experiencing sitting in the, you know, front stall where people generally, you know, who are, who are just uh, fending themselves uh, hand to mouth, they would spend some amount just to enjoy the film and the hero and the song and dance and how people would throw coins when their favorite uh, song and dance would come. <laughs> so it was, students loved it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it, yeah, that is such a different experience. Like, that's so interesting to me because I do, like, it's funny. I've had the very mild version of that, which is like, uh, there's a cinema here in Melbourne, uh, Nova, which on Mondays has like, it's a, uh, like cheap night Mondays, whatever. And it's funny because that's always when like all the local people from there will go. So like, if there's any sort of artsy sort of movie, um, cause it's cinema Nova anyway, and then it's a Monday, it's always, those ones are always going to be packed. And the vibe is really fun but they're not actually getting into it that much they're like laughing at all the right places but they're not actually like as engaged at what you're describing which sounds more like one of those uh watching parties that people do with like the room or the rocky horror picture show or something yeah 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 the rocky horror uh show probably comes close to it but then that's the normal thing in um, yeah, you know single screen theaters of course the the multiplex uh experience is robbing that away because people are becoming more elitist and you know not wanting to engage the way because suddenly there is a class division kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, okay. But yet, uh, yeah, it's, it's different. So I guess um, now you mentioned that uh, and to tie it back with the book you mentioned with the uh, cast and this, because I, whenever I think of cinema, I do think of like uh, propaganda essentially is, but not in a negative sense, just in terms of cinema is a reflection of cultural values and norms that then get spread across the world and whether that's good or bad and different views in that. What is the view in terms of, uh, and again, I know Indian cinema is a huge broad thing. So generally, I guess, is are these the kind of things it tackles? Does it talk about things like the caste system? Does it try to unpack it and make it better? Or is that something which actually it doesn't deal with enough? Yeah, very relevant question here, George. And uh, you are very right that in uh, cinema, especially the mainstream cinema, and when uh, in India, Indian cinema has often been dubbed as escapist fair or escapist cinema. And what it does is generally, in a way, it whitewashes or caste washes, okay? Or it represents only a specific class and specific caste. So the stories of the marginalized generally was reserved only to parallel cinema or alternate cinema, while mainstream cinema was always about rich people or people from higher caste. And, you know, and there was only a kind of a lip service to those kind of issue-based stories. And that I have always found very problematic. And, you know, like uh, uh, lots of Hollywood films have whitewashed, you know, things or situation Mm. or, or, so wanting to rep- uh, you know represent a black but you know uh, putting someone white in the role and you know <laughs> putting paint on them those kind of things no, that's again, or, that's or again, showcasing that's back in the day you know, yeah yeah so th- th- those are the kind of issues which uh, hollywood witnessed in indian cinema also we find those kind of problems but good thing is that while the mainstream hindi cinema it's still you know uh you know, tries to be very defensive and tries to be run away from these kind of facts. 
it is the regional cinemas or uh, again I, I have this thing in stuck uh, i always call it regional cinema but other you know strong cinema or from, from uh, southern india especially kerala and tamil nadu the cinemas which have really come and which are now decoding casteism and caste issues in mainstream cinema you know filmmakers like par ranjit and selva raj and all these people are doing some tremendous job and i'm amazed by the kind of work which is coming and they are changing the narrative and that's what is happening and i'm really happy about it uh hindi cinema still it is stuck in again it's also about production and who controls the production and that's a kind of a problem yeah and and those are again big political things i don't want to get into that because it will just open up a kind of a can of worms about talking about you know how problematic it is but yeah at, at at another level i enjoy my indian cinema i enjoy my hindi cinema i enjoy the song and dance i enjoy the escapist cine- uh, kind of cinema so that's all there so so you know at, at one per, at one uh, side i will defend my indian cinema no matter what but at another aspect i will also criticize for it for not taking up the issues which mattered or which could have help people or which would have changed their stereotypical notion about you know in in terms of class in terms of caste in terms of even about uh, in terms of uh, uh, sexism kind of uh, things so i i feel lots of these mainstream cinema are very sexist in nature and does not give enough to women as well you know the kind of uh, roles that they should have been right um so uh, i guess that that, that- that's reminding me and even you mentioned about the race thing as well um and this might be a difficult question to answer i'm not sure but uh you know like in hollywood right now there's a big push to get more voices i guess behind the camera to get them in roles of authority and things like that in terms of like along race and sex lines is that a case where like there is a specific cast that deals mainly with like hindi cinema or is that or is it quite equally spread is that a thing like i'm just coming up with oh. that but- No unfortunately no the caste representation is hardly anywhere and and there is also a so kind of like uh, behind the camera like as in the people making it yeah 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 it's 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 generally they dismiss people generally those kind of uh you know because cinema or films have been such kind of uh, uh, film schools have been you know very few and most of the people getting access to those who have been from you know uh, from well to do families generally so those kind of representations have been uh, very skewed and uh, and you see in the kind of films that are being made so from production to distribution to uh, to the behind the camera all the technical things oh it is changing again it is changing but it is taking a whole lot of time you know indian cinema is now more than 100 years old but till date if somebody has to talk about oh which was the film which uh, represented caste very well and one of the films which will always come is a 1936 film called achhut kanya damn 1936 2021 when we count six films you are taking that 1936 films as film as a landmark film which represented caste and after that you just have four so you can just understand what i'm trying to say here mm. that yes it hasn't been done and people still require a kind of that you know more participation and their storytelling it is changing but it will take a bit more time i do think so yeah no that's it's just uh, it's an angle i just didn't never even uh considered i guess that 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 yeah i i mean i'm i'm i understand looking at things through the class based perspective but the fact that this caste can have such a impact on things is yeah i mean it, it's interesting to me and that that's actually why the book sounded so interesting because it's splitting it by more than just 
um, class, which is like, okay, for example, um, and again, maybe this doesn't happen, but would there be families who get successful, let's say, and then actually actively try to change their caste, like maybe fudge their family history or something? Well, uh, the identity crisis is always there. Uh, and, and lots of times people try to hide their I- I- identity. Okay. And that has happened quite a lot. But uh, generally, there are hardly few people out there. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that, that's somewhat, uh, uh, again, the, the identity crisis due to caste or being from lower caste, it's again a big problem. Wow. This is one thing which I'm at the moment talking and I'm making a web series on that issue of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, narratives of Dalits in the Indian diaspora and how, why do they feel marginalized. Or, and then the story, one story which always comes out that how once they achieve a certain class, uh, the hiding or de-identifying them from a specific community. Because the moment they identify themselves, uh, the more the discrimination, the more looking down upon them, all those kind of things happens. Uh, so, yeah, but but at least now we are talking about it. That's, yeah. that's I would say. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, uh, I know you have to get going. I guess uh, one more, just again, just question. I'm just curious. Um, when you, these classes as they exist um, in India, this, is it like, is every class in every area or do certain areas only have like, like one city is just one type of class or is it all quite spread out in that sense throughout the country? No, no, it's spread out. India is uh, a very contrasting country. Any city you will go, there will be a contrast. So there will be class and there will be caste. So uh, uh, an apartment, you know, a middle-class apartment in Delhi would have all castes, but just next to the apartment, either in front of it or behind it, there will be a slum. And there will be all these people who are earning, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe uh, 50 cents a day or $1 a day. And they will be, you know, washing their clothes outside, taking baths outside. And then you come out of your apartment, you look at them and you don't talk to them. You just move on because your class is different. Mm. So your class cost might be <laughs> lower or whatever. So that is, it's a kind of a mixed problem, up, yeah. you know. It's this, it's this yeah, extra layer, different. Yeah, yeah. It's Yeah. And then recently, like uh, I think in 2020, when Trump was visiting one of the Indian cities, uh, well, you know, and there was this particular event. And then the government, you know, hit the slums, which was, you know, on his route so that the foreigner, dig foreigner, dignitary Trump doesn't see India's poverty. Oh, it shouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, you know, evident to him that, yeah, that there are slums on the main roads or there are poor people, you know, just doing the daily things uh, on the road. So, yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> There's a lot more time back there than we can do in a short episode like this. Um, I know you got to get going, so I guess I've got to let you go now. Uh, unfortunately, even though I'd love to hear some more, <laughs> we didn't even go into some more details about cinema, but that's okay. Thank you um, very much for being on. I guess one question for anyone listening: uh, Is there any? Well, actually, two questions. Uh, firstly, is there any? Is there any one you recommend as a starting point for Indian cinema? Let's say I know we've said that it's wider than Bollywood, so maybe two examples: one classic of Hindi cinema, and then one you would say is an example of the range that's possible. Do you have anything come to, come to mind? Well, my favorite film, uh, of course, is a curry western, as opposed to spaghetti western. We have got a curry western Bollywood film called Shole, which was again a kind of a inspiration from Clint Eastwood films and, uh, you know, uh, more it's made into a biggest Bollywood blockbuster. Curry Western. Yeah. So Spaghetti Western, then there is Curry yeah. Western. And Shole, 
or M Ambers, it has been re-released again. Uh, you know, it was made in 1975. I have watched that movie. You won't believe it, but every time that movie comes, I watch it, and I watch it whenever I have free time, and I watched it more than hundred times. So that's the movie I will say. Okay. Watch it if you have time. Three and a half hours. <laughs> three and okay? a half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's the Bollywood movie, mm. and uh, a recent uh, film which has really, really. you know uh, which is on netflix as well it's called asuran uh, it's again a kind of a, a study on the caste divide of india and it's on netflix another bollywood film uh, a bit of whitewashing but still which is interesting and one of my student is the editor of that film yasharam ramchandani and that film is called article 15 it is also on netflix so article 15 asuran on netflix shole you will get it on amazon prime yeah so Yeah. Okay. And um that <laughs> if they're all that long then you've you've committed to be a whole weekend now to <laughs> watching things. Uh um, Asuran is a shorter film and uh, Shole only probably 3 and a half hours but we love it. We enjoy it. It's it's probably India's uh, Rocky Horror Show kind of a thing that people will keep everybody remembers each and every dialogue of Shole. You call it it's 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 a legend you know it's a big film. Okay. It's 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 a film that wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably in terms of numbers it's probably like one of the biggest movies ever made. <laughs> it's like the amount of people that know it word for word, which is hilarious. Um and I guess finally uh do you want anyone to follow you anywhere? Catch you on anything? I would, I would just ask the audience that yeah, engage with Indian cinema. That's one thing I would really love to see more Australians engaging with Indian cinema because there it has lots more to offer. There are different story. Okay, song and dance might be a constant thing, but you still have different genre from horror to family film to action film and all. And uh, understanding a different culture and of course the growing Indian diaspora, it's it's there. And when you talk about Indian cinema, you know Indians really love it. But more importantly, you know it's it's always being open to, and that's what I find that uh, you know uh, Australians are more keen to. engage with european cinema or american cinema but uh, south asian cinema or southeast asian cinema it's kind of zone which lots of people don't like to go but why not when we say multiculturalism we need to embrace more and uh, yeah and the more you start doing that you will understand uh, the culture perspective and more appreciation to others as well definitely okay awesome well uh, thanks very much for being on Um yeah I guess that's it so thanks very much Yeah thanks George Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com. For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com.